Open our eyes, Lord, that we might see. Open our ears that we might hear. Open our mind and our heart that we might understand, so that we will turn to you and live. So last week and this week, thinking through uh, these Corinthian texts and how multi-layered they are and how confounding I've thought about uh, this line that Reinhold Niebuhr um, said some time ago. He said, there's something ridiculous in a callow young fellow like myself standing up to preach. Maybe I don't get to use the young descriptor as much as I used to, but there is something ridiculous in this practice of preaching It's ridiculous to hear an Old Testament reading that tells us that our religious acts are actually a kind of wickedness if they are not joined to just action in the world, that it is posture toward God and posture toward one another that are melded, that neither can be abandoned. It's our temptation to abandon one or the other, and it is the foolishness of Christ and God that these things are intended to be brought together. It's foolishness, Paul told us last week, this entire message of the cross. And if we have arrived at a Christian faith or a spiritual understanding, a posture in the world that seeks to be religious, and if the cross is not to us a kind of foolishness, then we have probably misunderstood the cross. The cross, the entire story of Jesus as a God-human surrendering to the shame of death and in his own body being joined to all of humanity in raising humanity out out of death's grip. That is pure rubbish to the way we have learned to judge things. We continue this morning hearing these words from Paul and we have to remember where Paul is speaking. He's speaking in Corinth, a powerful center of philosophy and intellect and wealth. It's a city that rivaled Athens. It was a place for the sharpest minds, the most powerful intellects. It's a place that did not suffer fools. It's a place a little bit like Charlottesville, And Paul stood there and said he didn't come with eloquence or superior wisdom or overwhelming logic, precisely the things that everyone expected a teacher, a leader, a a thoughtful person, one who shapes the way we think. It's precisely how they were supposed to come, but not Paul. If you wanted to be taken seriously in Corinth, you better have your A game. You better have a powerful mind and a powerful rhetoric to back it up. No wonder that Paul's knees knocked as he said there was only one thing he had to offer them. Jesus Christ crucified. Paul's not at all saying here that there is no wisdom in Jesus' cross that you just have to turn off your brain and wish upon a star and believe. 
But Paul does insist that when we encounter the reality of Jesus, we're going to have to begin to relearn what wisdom even is. That we don't get to stand here and cast our judgments completely on what wisdom is, but that something has radically happened in the story of Jesus Christ that reframes and reshapes even the most basic understanding we have about our own cognition and about the world. Our understanding of wisdom is too small. We do, Paul said, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. Our understanding of wisdom is too small. Our mind and imagination must be expanded by the reality of Jesus Christ. Our notions of wisdom don't need to be reduced. They need to be deepened. Our understanding of what it is to be human, what it means to know things, what it means to live in reality, all of these need to expand. We have to hear with newly tuned ears, engage with a newly awakened heart, see with fresh eyes. Hasn't the moon been amazing the last few nights? I walked out Monday night to take our dog Gus for his final relief. And uh, I was sitting on our front steps and I was looking up through our ash tree, which is now bare as can be, but reaching up to the sky and right beyond the, the branches, the bare branches was the moon. And what was amazing to me, it was this half moon that was brilliant and bold and clear as could be, but then there was another half half of the moon, and it was a little bit lighter, but it was like it was blazing, and it was almost like it was laid over. It didn't line up properly. It laid over just behind the first half of the moon. Did anybody else see this? Okay, this makes me even more nervous. <laughs> I'm sure there is a, a scientific explanation, but I was blown away, and I couldn't quite make sense of what was, I was seeing, and I said, Miska, come out. You've got to see this, and she comes out, and she looks up, and she's like, what are you talking about? It's a beautiful half moon. I said, yes, it's a beautiful half moon. But do you see the other half a moon behind that moon, like kind of blazing? And she just looked at me and she said, are you having a stroke? <laughs> and for someone who, you know, has some uh, obsessive tendencies for the next three to four minutes, I was very much concerned. Was I having a stroke? I walked inside. I tried to clear my eyes and walked back out. And for the rest of the evening, I walked out there like three or four times. I couldn't not see that other half. And I have no idea what that actually was. I don't know. Uh, I, the point of this story is not in any way <laughs> to say that I was seeing reality and Miska wasn't, because I think she was seeing reality. But the whole point is there's certain things you can only see with a certain kind of eyes, a certain vantage point. And once something deep shifts, your perspective, the way you see things, the assumptions that you begin with, everything begins to look a little bit different. Genuine wisdom is not first a philosophy or some angle on truth. That's a very small understanding of wisdom. Wisdom is not a revelation. 
an epiphany, a result only of hard-won experience. True wisdom is Jesus Christ. The Jewish man born to the Virgin Mary in the first century who in his very flesh united humanity and God in a way that changes everything about human existence. And that proclamation ignites a scandal of preposterous foolishness unless it is true. This is what we heard last week from Paul. You are in Christ Jesus who has become for us the wisdom of God. Jesus Christ has become for us the wisdom of God. Wisdom here is not about heightened insight. It's not about some mental capacity confined to the brain. But wisdom enacted in Jesus Christ is God's healing act of returning us to our true humanity, renewing us in God's life, setting us loose in the world, free from our broken stories, free from our destructive compulsions, free from our anxieties about ourselves and our place in the world. Deep wisdom is not mainly something that we acquire through working our best effort, through compiling all the knowledge, through fortitude and potent logic. Wisdom is something we gain through the gift of experience in relationship. I have to pause here and say, it's a pretty cool thing to pastor this church because of the resources I have. I was totally tangled up in this text and I was able to call Chris Yates yesterday and spend a half hour with him on the phone. And I'm really indebted to him and his, his skill in this sermon. But anything that I goof up on or say that's boneheaded, it's, that's my thing. <laughs> oh, I will. Yeah. <laughs> knowledge is often a boastful thing. Paul, in fact, says knowledge puffs up. It doesn't mean knowledge is bad. It means it's dangerous. Wisdom is a humble thing. Wisdom is, in many respects, a gift. Wisdom is not something we possess. Wisdom is first a person. Jesus Christ became wisdom for us. We are drawn into wisdom as Jesus draws us into the community of divine love, where we are embraced by a story and a truth and a relationship and a reality that transforms us into the people who know in the depths of our being what it is to be human, what it is to be at home in God, finally living out of abundance rather than lack, out of courage rather than fear, out of trust rather than shame, out of a wisdom fully integrated into our passions and disappointments, our tears and delights, our most crushing heartaches, our most profound hopes. When I was at the summer between my sixth and seventh grade, is that right? That's right. We were in Texas where we lived. And as you might know, Texas in Texas football is a very big thing. 
and I was going to play junior high football. And uh, I uh, had been homeschooled most of my life up to this. This was school was a new experience. Competitive sports were a new experience. I, I was a late bloomer in many respects. I'm not tall now, but I was extra short then. Um, but I was also tubby, which means I was uh, kind of small, but I made up for it by being slow. And <laughs> this was not a great combination for playing football. I wasn't what you would call aggressive. I didn't really have that streak. I, I did grow into that later. But at this point, I, I had no sense of like really um, competitiveness. And I think my dad was really concerned about this. He was concerned about what was motivating me to play and whether or not this was a good idea. And my dad cut, cut my hair. And we were sitting um, in, I can I won't explain why, but we were in this old kind of abandoned house um, that we used for some storage and stuff that happened to be on the property where my dad was a pastor. And it was an evening for a haircut. But looking back on this story, uh, the haircut, I think, was a minor point of the evening. So my dad set me in a chair, put the uh, towel around me, got the, the, the clippers going, buzzing. And he began to ask me a question or two. He said, hey, um, wh why are you playing football? Why do you want to do this? I answered, you know, I don't even know what I said. And I remember my dad saying, well, when I just want you to know, you don't need to play football for me. You don't need to do anything to please me. I just love you the way you are. And you can choose to play or not, but I'm just going to love you the same either way. There was something in that encounter with my dad's hands literally running through my hair, with his tenderness of his words, that far more than explaining love to me, it was love for me. There was a kind of wisdom he was passing to me that I frankly didn't understand at the time about identity, belonging, love, about how to navigate a world where there are expectations and you're not sure if you meet them up. He didn't really explain any of that to me. He was that for me. But no wonder Paul says he came with fear and trembling. When he came into the city that was pulsing with the powerful wisdom of the age, pronouncing only Jesus Christ crucified. That's foolishness when you're not couching it in the eloquence and rhetoric that is expected and demanded and that everything around you says, if you have any smarts at all, if what you live and believe and say has any value at all, it must be presented this way. It must be based on this foundation. And to step into the middle of that and say, there's actually an entirely different way to understand reality and the universe than what you believe. No wonder fear and trembling. But I imagine this week that if Paul were standing here with us today, he might also have some fear and trembling because of an entirely different word that he proclaimed. When he said, I resolved to know nothing except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I know Jesus Christ and him crucified. 
to say that we know something, to speak with such clear boldness about Jesus, without apology, without hedging our bets, without qualifying our words from every single angle. If we stand today, as I am attempting to do, and proclaiming Jesus Christ as the beginning and the end of human history, Jesus Christ as the divine reality that consumes all other stories and philosophies, Jesus Christ as the healer of every wound, Jesus Christ as the joy of every heart, Jesus Christ as the deep love of every aching human. And to say that we know this, well, fear and trembling seems to me an entirely appropriate response. Some of us are skittish at proclaiming knowledge about Christ because we've seen those who use this kind of language of knowledge harm one another weaponizing these ideas, using them as a way to boast superiority, a way of demeaning or dehumanizing someone else, oftentimes over our history with violence. But if the cross is not limiting human possibility, but opening it up, if Jesus' cross and resurrection is the healing of the world, if the story that Jesus tell, is telling is not the destruction of the world, but the renewal and healing of it, this is immensely good news. Some of us are skittish at proclaiming knowledge about Christ because I think to some degree we're still intellectually residents of Corinth. We believe knowledge is something we attain. It's an object that somehow we are separated from. We've come to believe that we learn something by cool detachment, objectively studying all the evidence with cool analysis so that we unto ourselves with our mental capacities, unsullied by anyone else's opinion, can arrive at the truth. Well, hopefully I don't, have to actually say that there is no such thing as individual objective analysis. It doesn't exist. But there is a kind of deep wisdom and, in the words of Paul, a deep knowledge that Jesus invites us into, and it is a knowing that happens only in relationship. God invites us not to merely adhere to historical tenets to believe in abstract religious principles, but to be drawn into the community of divine love, to be embraced by truths that remake the human heart, to have our entire story remade, to enter into God's reality, into God's future. It is a relationship that doesn't just have us asking questions of it, but this relationship asks questions of us, and it actually requires something of us. This is not a knowing we gain by cool logic or sterile laboratory analysis. This knowing will only capture us in the act of love. But that's risky. 
One of the advantages of this more sterile and Corinthian way of knowing is that it allows us to hold on to the illusion of safety and control. As long as I can be the final one to know the reality, as long as I don't have to really risk anything, then I can simply be in charge and control and I can keep myself safe. Leslie Newbigin, Chris and I were also talking about this book yesterday. It's a beautiful book. It's called Proper Confidence. It's maybe the best book I've ever read about faith and doubt and knowing. Leslie says, personal knowledge is impossible without risk. It cannot begin without an act of trust. And trust can be betrayed. And many of us are saying, not only can it be, it has been. We are here facing a fundamental decision in which we have to risk everything we have. There are no insurance policies available. When I was, uh, I won't go through all the details because I've shared it multiple times, but it's a very formative story for me, so that's why I return to it readily, uh, often. When I was having my meltdown after uh, asking Miska to marry me, I was grappling with precisely this question, how can I know, how can I know? And I know some people, the question of marriage, relationships, jobs, you know, these things might not be the touch points for them, but for whatever reason in my story and for lots of things I can unpack later, this question of marriage haunted me. And I was bedeviled by fear that I would make a wrong choice. What I wanted to have happen was, for me, through the logic of my brain, through reading and studying and thinking about the human condition, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, to arrive at some kind of logically clear answer that would take all of the risk out of this crazy thing called marriage. That was not available to me. At the end of the day, the only thing that I was able to do was to combine my brain, my experience, hopefully my chastened reason, coupled together with my actual experience of love with Miska. The only way I could know however you want to think about that word, no. How I could know that I was to marry Miss Case because I had encountered something in this woman. Something that would not, would not submit to my demand for absolute safety, but this gesture of love required me to take a risk. It was not turning off my brain, but my brain wasn't enough. In fact, in this instance, my brain betrayed me. I had to learn how to couple the way I thought with the encounter of love. The same thing happened when we began talking about having children. We had four wonderful years of life together, and all of a sudden the idea of bringing a child in this world terrified me. Logic wasn't going to fix that for me. 
I had to encounter the presence and the prospect of love. I had to risk. I had to surrender the illusion of control. I had to trust love. Marilyn Robinson said, often when we think we are protecting ourselves, we are struggling against our rescuer. So this is how all of this leads forward in the reading we had today from Corinthians. We speak of God's secret wisdom, Paul says, a wisdom that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, as it is written, no eye has seen, nor ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed it to us by his spirit. Paul is not asking us to wish upon a star. Paul is asking us to do something daring and courageous and absolutely human, which is to hear and use our brains and our thinking and then to respond to the invitation of love and to respond to the hope that is promised to us in Christ because we have had an encounter with one named Jesus. And this encounter with Jesus invites us to reframe the way we even think about the world so that now we are drawn into this ultimate hope of the communion of love that our brain can't even conceive. That's beyond our capacity to hear. It's beyond our capacity to see. Faith and belief is trusting what we have encountered and trusting the one who says there is more. Amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.